Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. That means it's a UFC betting preview. We're breaking down UFC 291 this weekend from Delta. Is it the Delta Arena? Delta Center in Salt Lake City. We've got five fights on the main card, seven prelims. We'll look at underdogs, props, and more. We'll finish up with some final bets, some best bets. Uh, we'll start with the main event. Dustin Poirier is the favorite, minus 160 over at FanDuel, and he opposes Justin Gaethje. Uh, Poirier's actually moved slightly. He's down to minus 152. Gaethje plus 124. That remains uh, on the money line. Zarillo, when we break this one down, should be a, a, a fascinating card. Good good weekend for uh, folks that like to bet UFC. You can catch the prelims on ESPN Plus and then the uh, – Mainstream uh, is on pay-per-view later on Saturday night, 10 o'clock start. Assessing the main event, Poirier and Gaethje, what do you make of it? And then how do you determine how you want to bet it? Well, I want to mention a start for the whole card because, Brendan, you mentioned the card is in Salt Lake City. And the last time we saw the UFC go to Utah, every fighter melted in the third round. And cardio is going to be huge on this card. We talk about cardio every single week on this podcast. I don't think it will be bigger than it is this week, particularly in those third rounds, seeing who still has anything left in the gas tank. In terms of the main event specifically, I do like the fight to end inside the distance at minus 230. I know it is very juiced up. I projected this line closer to minus 300. So 75% implied, 75% finish probability, roughly for me, on either side. These two fought back in 2018. Dustin Poe finished Gaethje in the fourth round of a fight that he was probably on his way to losing. Take a couple more leg kicks. It might have been over. Very competitive fight. Uh, and, you know, really, I think the stylistic breakdown or the the technical weapon that will be most important for either fighter is very similar. It's going to be Gaethje's leg kicks against Dustin's boxing. And I think the question is how much Gaethje's boxing has caught up to Dustin's boxing in the six years since they lost fought, the five years since they lost fought. And I know for a fact that Dustin's leg kicks have gotten better. He tore apart Conor McGregor with those calf kicks. So I think both fighters have leveled up in the one area where their opponent was seemingly stronger or dominating them in the first fight. Um, I think Dustin's two-inch reach advantage is going to continue to be a problem for Justin if he's able to get in the pocket. I just think he's still, you know, regardless of how much Justin's boxing is caught up, I just think that reach advantage is going to prove the difference when they're both jabbing or, you know, standing, throwing straight punches. The durability on either side, I think, has really faded in recent years. Both of these guys known historically for having great cardio, great durability. Both have been hurt numerous times in their recent fights, especially to the body. Both hurt to the body by Charles Oliveira. Um, You know, I I really don't think these guys are nearly as durable as they were for the first fight. On top of the fact that I mentioned the cardio is going to be a real thing down the stretch here in the late rounds. So, I can see a you know close competitive fight like the first one where feeling out process for the first round. They each trade rounds, rounds two and three, but I would expect that pace to pick up in the middle of the fight. 
And I think at some point somebody gets hurt and goes down. So I used it as a parlay piece at minus 230 with the Rogerio de Lima, Derek Lewis fight at minus 550 to end inside the distance, both of those fights. So combined, that was a parlay of about minus 140. But as I said, a straight bet up to about minus 230 on the main event to end inside the distance, I think it's fine considering I projected it closer to minus 300. You just might be sweating it for a few rounds. Billy Poirier has been phenomenal as of late. Nine and two record over the last six years. Feels like a deserving favorite. Uh, Gaethje is not far off, though, uh, as it pertains to his money line price. Uh, you've got Billy Ward is the author of our UFC luck ratings, which you can find over at Action Network. He determines if there's if a fighter or a, a matchup is undervalued or if someone is overvalued. And for this one, Billy, you think this is pretty fairly priced. Can you explain and how you might want to bet? I do. And, you know, Sean broke down a lot of it. Very similar fighters. It's just the leg kicks versus the boxing is the big separation between them. But both, you know, very good output, great strikers, historically very durable, just really good all around fighters. You know, we haven't mentioned it. This is for the BMF belt, which is an entirely made up thing, but it does make this five rounds. And, and these guys fit that description, right? They're out here to put on a show, very violent fighters, never have a boring fight. Since Gaethje lost to Poirier, his only two losses are to Charles Oliveira and Habib. And since, I don't know, the 9-2 and two record you mentioned for Poirier, that was to Charles Oliveira and Habib. So very similar fighters. I get why Poirier is the favorite. You know, he's beaten a little bit better competition, I would say, since they fought each other. Yeah. But it should be close. And it's not one that I love betting. You know, if this were in a main event, I probably wouldn't get to it. The one thing that's tilting me a little bit towards the underdog here is I mean, besides systemically, if we think two fighters are really close and you're getting plus money on one of them, obviously that's, you know, a lean that way. But with this being an elevation, Gaethje trains in Denver or Colorado. I think it's outside of Denver where Poirier trains. His home gym is in Louisiana, which is a swamp. And he does his training camps in Boca Raton, Florida, which is basically sea level. So I think the cardio might actually favor Gaethje a little bit here, as well as the fact that his leg kicks tend to play dividends later in a fight where Poirier's boxing, I think, falls off a little bit just as Poirier loses some speed and some power. So favorite angle on that is probably Gaethje live, just because if he's building up with those leg kicks but getting hurt, those are going to pay dividends later on. But on a pre-fight side, a little bit of a sprinkle on Gaethje money line and just hoping that, you know, maybe Poirier has a good round one but eats some leg kicks and we can get him at plus 200 or something like that after that point. Last thing I want to mention, I considered betting this fight to end in rounds three, round four, and round five. Those odds were about plus 650, plus 900, and plus 1100, respectfully. So I was going to do sort of a structured play, a third of a unit, you know, 0.15 on that round three, and then 0.1 in round four and round five. That was the other way I was considering betting this, other than the fight to end inside the distance, trying to get plus money on the later round props, as opposed to laying juice to get the whole fight. But yeah, I, I agree with Billy's take on the cardio. I think that's a a smart thought considering Gaethje does train at elevation. I think, you know, this fight to me is going to come down to who you think is the better cardio and durability and durability, I think is a toss up, but cardio, I think there's reasons why Gaethje might have the advantage. What about on FanDuel? I'm seeing either fighter to win in rounds three or four plus three seventy. It's interesting. Doesn't get the round five angle. Um, and yeah. I think there's certainly potential given the elevation that any of the fights on this card are going to end, you know, there are the other fights in the third round, but I think there's a potential for a lot of final round stoppages throughout this card. So don't love not getting the fifth round there, to be honest. Okay. Moving on. Favorite underdogs. We have a consensus underdog on the UFC betting preview. Zarillo, why don't you go first and tell us who it is? 
Yeah, Michelle Pereira at plus 130. Wonder Boy Thompson, one of my favorite fighters, so I don't like betting against him, but there is an 11-year age gap in this fight and a huge athleticism differential. As we typically mention, when there is a big age gap, the younger fighter wins about 10% more often than the betting market tells you their fair odds are. And looking at that 11-year age gap in UFC history, the younger fighter has won 70, what, 71% of the time compared to average odds of minus 158. 61% implied. So a 10% edge over the betting market. Per also has the grappling upside, the power advantage, and he's just generally bigger. He's very big for the 170 pound division, cuts a lot of weight to make welterweight. Well, uh, Wonder Boy, the clear striking advantage, also a two inch reach advantage. But what I do like about Pereira relative to his other opponents is the unpredictable nature of his style. We've seen Wonder Boy knocked out by a flying knee. He's not the kind of guy who's going to charge at him with typical boxing or karate or, you know, any sort of orthodox striking. Pereira is very atypical in how he approaches the striking. But on top of that, I do think he has substantial grappling upside here, the ability to land takedowns, the ability to smother Wonder Boy on the mat, up against the cage. Um, you know, the, the age differential, the athleticism, the explosiveness is all on Pereira's side. On top of the fact, as I said, the power advantage. And just looking at Wonder Boy's last fight against Kevin Holland, he was hurt on the feet, taken down by a striker, and let back up by Holland. If he had just been dominated on the mat by Kevin Holland, who's a striker in that fight, and it very much seemed like Holland could have done that had he wanted to, I don't think you're getting Pereira plus money here. So all of the grappling upside, the striking finishing upside probably, too, on Pereira's side. I just think there's a lot of reasons for him to check the box as an underdog. So like him down to about plus 115, made this fight closer to a pick him. But yeah, very obvious underdog play for me and I'm sure for Billy as well. Yeah, Billy Thompson's had some strong competition, Gilbert Burns, Bilal Muhammad, but you're in the same boat as Zerillo on Pereira. Price is coming down at uh, plus 130 now, as Zerillo mentioned. So you're not getting a number that you could have had earlier in the week. So how are you feeling about Pereira today? Still okay with a plus 130. This is what I've been on all week. I tweeted on Monday. This was my, you know, CLV play of the week when he was plus 145 or so. I said, I don't think we'll get better than plus 130 come fight time, which turns out to be the case. And, you know, I, I did a full breakdown of this one at Action Network. The one thing that stuck out other than all of the very good points that Zerillo mentioned is Pahea's style of kind of like that in-your-face pressure doing a lot of things is just kryptonite for these karate guys. We talked about it recently with uh, Muslim Salikov, which was like my favorite bet of the past many years. We faded him against a guy who stayed in his face and threw a lot of volume. These karate guys like to sit back. They kind of pick you off when you throw a one punch with perfect counters, or they can set up their, you know, in Thompson's case, long sidekicks, switch kicks, all kinds of crazy stuff. He can't do any of that with Pahea in his face. I'm a little bit nervous because sometimes Pahea falls in the trap of kind of keeping his back to the fence, trying to set up his own jumping, flipping, spinning, whatever attacks. But we've seen him do a much better job in recent fights of fighting more from an orthodox style, hurting you with punches, and then going to the crazy stuff rather than making his whole game plan to, you know, do a backflip off the cage and knee in the head on the way by or whatever he used to do. So a little bit worried about that variance of it, but Pea certainly has the tools to beat him. And then again, all the grappling upside. If he takes him down, I think he'll just maul him on the ground as well. So even if we don't go to the grappling, I'd say this is about a pick him. When you throw that in there, I, I, I would make Pea a favorite. Okay, on to do the fight of the night. We've got John Blavich 
He's the slight favorite over Alex Pereira. Blaovich right now over at FanDuel minus 122. Pereira minus 104. So Blaovich is uh, the favorite for this one, Zarillo. This one has a lot of steam as well heading into Salt Lake City. If the cardio has an impact for this one too, please share and assess it. How would you like to bet it? Yeah, cardio could be interesting. Both fighters in their late 40s, light heavyweights. Uh, I think it might be more beneficial per, for Pereira just because he's moving up here from 185 to 205. So not having to cut that weight might help his gas tank, might help his durability in general. Jan is 40 years old. He's probably the lesser athlete. He's seemingly regressed in his recent fights, but Pereira was also knocked out badly in April. And this is a pretty quick return after that knockout against Adesanya, just a few months off. So don't necessarily know how that chin is going to hold up going from 185 to 205, a few months removed from a bad knockout and now facing a guy who arguably hits harder with legendary Polish power and Jan Bukowicz. Um, And Jan seemingly has the grappling advantage in this fight too, which you would think would make him the favorite. But I have some thoughts about Jan's grappling upside in this fight. First, we've only ever really seen him consistently pursue takedowns against Israel Adesanya, who's a true middleweight, smaller than Pereira. Pereira is going to be bigger than Blahovic, by the way, even though he's moving up. Uh, two inches taller, one inch reach advantage, so he should be the bigger man. So even though Pereira is not as good of a defensive grappler as Adesanya, he's going to have a strength advantage. Also, that fight with Blahovic and Adesanya happened in the apex. This is happening in the bigger cage. So Blahovich not going to be able to get those takedowns as easily as he was in Adesanya, probably just because the space is much bigger. It's not as confined. Um, in terms of the kickboxing, I think Jan could be competitive. He was competitive with Adesanya, but I still would give Pereira the advantage. And Pereira's volume actually surprised me with how much he was throwing at middleweight. You're going to move him up division to light heavyweight, give him more cardio, a little bit more comfort. I think he's going to be chucking volume at a very high clip. Jan is going to be very susceptible to getting hit by that left hook. He's gotten clipped by left hooks in the past. Uh, in terms of chin, I don't really know where to go. Cause again, it's a 40 year old going against the guy who's younger, but was knocked out very recently. So I, I see reasons why this is lined as a pick em. I should also mention too, Jan's last fight was a title fight draw. And Dana White basically threw him and Malgaban and Goliath like out of the title picture. Now the light heavyweight title picture is open back up with Jamal Hill's injury. But it kind of seems like Jan needs to have an exciting fight to get back on the good side of the matchmakers. So I don't know how much he's going to try to grapple here. And even if he does, as I said, with the bigger cage per size, I don't really know how much success he's going to have doing it either. So I actually see more of a kickboxing match playing out and obviously would have to favor Poetan in that matchup. So give me Alex Pereira to about minus 110. And I also like his knockout odds, his ITD odds as well. I'll probably stick those in a round robin instead though. Okay, Billy, yeah, Pereira is uh, picking up some steam here. He's now minus 105, so that, that line is, is crunching closer together. Uh, Blahovich is minus 115. Pereira slightly undervalued. Why might you want to take his side, or is there another angle? Yeah, you know, Zerillo, I'm mostly with Zerillo. Just a couple things I wanted to add on to that. One, the kind of takedowns that Blahovich was getting on Adesanya, they weren't technical great wrestling where he was chain wrestling. You know, he wasn't switching from a single leg to a high crotch and then ducking under and taking his back. He was just, I'm so much bigger and stronger than you. I'm going to just kind of pull you over. That's not going to work on Pahea. As Zerillo pointed out, Pahea is definitely taller and longer. Might end up being physically stronger here, especially against a 40-year-old Blahovich. I also disagree with Sean a little bit, even though I'm arriving at the same point. 
that Blahovich is going to be competitive in the kickboxing. He was competitive with Adesanya in the kickboxing because Adesanya was so worried about takedowns, not because he was just outpointing him in a true kickboxing match. I don't think Bahia is going to be as worried. The big cage is a big factor of that. And then the cardio, you know, you wouldn't say either of these guys have great cardio necessarily, but Bahia did knock out Adesanya in the fifth round of their fight, which is fairly rare. The other thing, and I always bring this up, if one guy has to wrestle and one guy does not to win the fight, which is probably the case here, that takes a lot more cardio than Pahea just bouncing around on the outside landing shots. So the way I see this one going is Blahovich maybe has some early success with takedowns first round, but he's got to work real hard for it, and Pahea eventually finds his way back to his feet. And then I think it's all Pahea after that. So I originally put in the sheet, Pahea, either by knockout or by decision, you were getting plus 110. FanDuel has now made that the exact same as his money line odds. They're saying there is a 0% chance of a submission, which is hard to disagree with, though, right? Like, he's a great kickboxer, huge grappling deficit. So just take the money line at minus 105 with those two coming together. Could also see a Pahea live angle after the first round if Jan has some success with the grappling. But I'm more worried about Jan not having that success in the first place and the line going the other way then I am worried about Pahea getting stopped early. So money line's fine. If you want to get a little bit greedy, you could wait for a live angle, but I'm not sure it'll work out that way. All right. Jan, former light heavyweight, as Cirillo mentioned, and you got Pereira, the former middleweight title holder. That's the co-main. Should be good. That one's got a little, uh, feels a little bit closer than Poirier and Gaethje, but not, not far off. Prop market. Where are we looking this week, Zerillo, for Salt Lake City? Yeah, Billy and I are aligned here as well, like we are on the underdogs. We're going to Priscilla Cachoeira at inside the distance at plus 450. Projected this line for me closer to about plus 360. Um, so where it's at, I think, is a nice edge. I also like her money line a little bit here. Projected that closer to plus 200. Could see her winning decision, but 7 or 12 wins inside of her career, inside the distance. And she has a pretty big grappling deficiency in this fight against Miranda Maverick, who should be able to land takedowns potentially control her, if not get a submission. I'm interested in the fight to end inside the distance overall, but I think Cachoeira has more finishing upside. I think Maverick is capable of controlling her on the mat and not actually finishing the fight. So of the two, if I'm choosing their ITD odds, I'm certainly going with Cachoeira. Projected finish is about 65% of her win condition. As I said, I'm also going to consider betting her money line as well. There's a chance that Maverick lands takedowns, but doesn't do enough with them and Cashware is able to steal the fight in the moments where she's on the feet in each round. So Cashware inside the distance plus 450, but also taking a look at that money line sitting at around plus 235. Consensus prop, consensus underdog, consensus prop. Billy, what can you add? Yeah, uh, just one thing that Zerlo didn't mention. Miranda Maverick has taken this on somewhat short notice. I think she fought like a month ago against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. Normally not a big deal. You know, maybe you say, yeah, she stayed in shape. We don't know that because she might have had a week or two off and then got the call for this one but given the altitude i think that's a bigger deal here than it normally would be like i'm not fighting people at four thousand feet above sea level without a full training camp if i can avoid it only reason i'm saying inside the distance and jarello didn't mention this but i think probably agrees is i could see cachoeira catching maverick and maverick kind of panic wrestling or taking a bad shot and then finding her way into a submission and the lines are fairly close i think it's only plus 500 on knockout only so yeah I'll sacrifice that little bit of extra odds just to get the inside the distance and in case we get a panic submission. But other than that, yeah, Zarela nailed it. We're in the same same page here. 
I mean, we got the Paul Craig ground and pound TKO last week. MMA is a weird ah. sport, man. So, sometimes the finish, like the, you know, the fighter who never has a submission on the record, they get a club and sub or it, it just that five or 10% outcome. Sometimes it just, it comes into play when you never expect it to. So if Pereira goes out and subs Jan Blachowicz, I mean, I'm not going to be shocked. He's been working extensively with Glover Teixeira. You know, maybe Glover, you know, taught him some cool front choke that he's going to slap on him if uh, Jan's trying to wrestle him against the cage. So, yeah, I, I can see Cashor getting a submission. Just take the shorter price that is going to, you know, not make you feel awful if the other outcome happens. 12 fights to choose from, and they've got the same dog and the same yeah. prop. That's uh, that's quite fascinating and quite ironic. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have the same for our final bet, best bet, before we wrap it up. UFC 291, Zerillo, when you're looking around the board... What jumps out? Yeah, Tony Ferguson and Bobby Green fight to end inside the distance. It is a pick and price at minus 110. I projected this at minus 122. It's my favorite bet on the card. It's our editor, Dan Stupp's favorite bet on the card, which I like to see too. He just claimed that in our Slack channel where we determine who's going to write up what best bet because we seem to have a bunch of overlap at times. Uh, but in terms of this fight, both guys in their late 30s, both have been finished within the past 12 or 13 months pretty badly. Um, but Tony, specifically Tony Ferguson, 39 years old on a five fight losing streak. Typically guys would get cut on a five fight losing streak, even a three fight losing streak in the UFC. He's been finished in three of those losses and his athleticism is just noticeably shot. So as I said, lost his last five fights. The two where he didn't lose by finish were against Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira. Dariush seemingly snapped his leg. Tony didn't tap. Charles seemingly snapped his arm or elbow. Tony didn't tap. Now, obviously not tapping, great sign of his toughness, but at the same time, his athleticism has just disappeared since those fights, those submissions that he did not tap to. He does his little pre-fight routine, you know, where he's moving as Bruce Buffer is doing the introductions. People have cut up a video comparing his first fight in the UFC to the fight against Diaz last out. And it just is not the same person. This guy can barely move. Bobby Green came back after his knockout, looked actually pretty good in a no contest against Jared Gordon. There was a head clash leading to a knockout sequence. It was overturned to a no contest, but I did like to see him coming back athletically, looking sharp, looking fast with his hands in that fight against Gordon. What's interesting about this fight against Ferguson to me, there's a four inch reach discrepancy in the boxing, which means that Green actually needs to get into the pocket if he wants to land strikes, he's going to have to be in Tony's face if he's going to have success here. And I think given the hand speed differential, the athleticism differential, I think Bobby is just going to use Tony's head like a, you know, a ping pong ball. He's going to smash him over and over again. It's not going to be any individual shot that puts him down, but I think the accumulation of damage, the attritional damage, repeated blows from inside the pocket is eventually going to put Tony away. So don't love that Bobby was knocked out, as I said, very badly in the past 12 or 13 months. That's why I'm taking the fight to end inside the distance at minus 110, as opposed to betting Bobby to win inside the distance at not too much of a better price. But yeah, I like this here with two guys in their late 30s. Should be a high-paced affair. And just that that reach differential with the way Bobby fights, he really needs to get close to Tony to land. So that's going to create a phone booth fight, and I think somebody falls. You happen to find that ping pong ball, you can give it to our director of audio, Matt Mitchell. Uh, you're in desperate need of ping pong balls going back now a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, inside joke, couldn't help myself. You're welcome, Matt Mitchell. Billy, best bet before we wrap it up. 
Yeah, before I get to mine, just one last point on Tony Ferguson. Also, like five-ish weeks ago, had a bad DUI where he rolled his car over and like landed on top of another car, which one, just the physical result of that probably isn't great, right? Like I'm sure he got hurt in that sequence. Also told us, you know, four or five weeks out from a fight, he was still drinking and going out and partying and not, you know, training and living the lifestyle that we like to see from our fighters early. So one more factor in there. But uh, as far as mine, I'm looking at the Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Holland fight. This is another fight I did a breakdown of. I'm fairly confident in my read on the fight. I'm just not sure the best way to bet it. Because we have a guy in Kevin Holland who's very long, you know, just fought Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, as Zerillo alluded to when we were talking about Thompson. Not a great grappler, but very good defensively with his submissions. He can't really wrestle, not great in, tra- not great in transitions. But he has a black belt, so he's probably not going to get tapped. Against Michael Chiesa, whose only career loss by knockout was a cut. Like, he's never actually been knocked out. So what I see happening here is Chiesa, who's a great wrestler, grappler, probably gets some takedowns, probably ends up on top, probably doesn't finish him when he's there. You know, Holland might tag him a little bit before that happens, but I think Chiesa has the durability to not get knocked out. And we're getting plus 150 on this one to go over two and a half rounds. So that's that's my first of the two best bets. I also am leaning towards the Chiesa side here just because – if he's on top, if he's controlling the positions, he's not a guy who just hangs out and guard. I worry a little bit that he's not going to do enough damage, but he usually passes to dominant positions, which I think the judging is sophisticated enough now to know that, you know, riding out around from side control or mount is fundamentally different than being in a guy's guard. I think most of our judges know that now. I'm not super confident in saying that. It depends on who's scoring this fight. So Michael Chiesa, round three or decision at plus 250, kind of like that one for a little bit longer odds. But the safer pick, the one I feel a little bit better about, is over two and a half rounds at plus 150. Just because both guys are so good at defending what the other one is good at offensively, I'm not sure how we see a finish before that. All right, fellas, good stuff. UFC 291 underway on Saturday night. You can catch the prelims on ESPN Plus and then uh, also on ESPN Plus and pay-per-view the main card featuring five fights. If you are looking for our faces, which this podcast does have video form, we have the video version of this podcast, The Weigh-In, coming up at 3.30 Eastern on Friday, July 28th. It will break all things down. So if you listen to this and you had a chance, or if you didn't, sorry, plug in the the Weigh-In show, which is coming up. Our friends at FanDuel also our presenting sponsor. For Billy Ward and Sean Zarello, Brendan Glasheen, thanks for listening to this UFC betting preview here on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. We will talk to you again next week. Good luck. Have a great weekend. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.